Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Jonathan gave David his armor. He gave him his robe. He doesn't have a problem at all with the fact that God chose somebody other than him to be the king. And, and I want to just say this to his credit. That's a good friend, right? A guy that just will say, you know, I'm in position for this, but I, I see God's anointing on you for this. And I'm, I'm not jealous. I'm not, a, I'm not bothered by it. I, I, I'm actually want to help you. I want to help you get into the place. My dad, if my dad's going to hinder you, I'm going to help you to get there. That is a, I mean, that is a friend. We all need a friend like Jonathan. And we all need to be a friend like Jonathan. In today's message, Pastor Bill teaches you that this is what a godly friendship looks like. Jonathan was next in line to be king, but he knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. Jonathan wasn't jealous or bitter of David. In fact, he wanted to support David, and he was willing to risk his life to protect David from King Saul. Do you have these kinds of friendships in your life? If not, ask God to provide godly brothers and sisters. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20, as he begins his message, My Brother's Keeper. Father, we come before you this evening and thank you for this day, this opportunity, God. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are living and powerful, that you've left us your word to instruct us. Uh, Thank you, God, that your word is alive and powerful, God. This is no dead book. And so, Lord, through your word, because it's living and powerful, you're able to meet us where we are. God, I trust you know every person here, those that are watching, those that will listen to this later. uh, You know our spiritual state. God, you know what we need to hear. And I pray tonight, Lord, you meet us in this place. I pray you'd open up your word to us, Lord, and just speak to us as we look at the relationship between Jonathan and David and um, just some unique aspects of, of how, how you use them together to accomplish your will in both of their lives. God, I pray you'd speak to us, that you would meet us in this place, Lord. So we give you our undivided attention. We pray you would open up your word to us more so than our ears. Give us hearts that understand and comprehend what you're speaking tonight. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. All right. For you guys that have been following along, we've been making our way pretty quickly through the book of first Samuel. We learn about King David as the Lord has anointed him. He's not functioning as the king just yet because who's still hanging around? Saul. First Saul was anointed. Saul would represent the people's choice. Um, so the people chose Saul. He was tall and, you know, head and shoulders above all the people. He looked like he was going to be the giant slayer for Israel. And they picked him and they got him. And uh, how does Saul work out? That Saul is an example not to pick with your own. Don't go looking with your own eyes and say, oh, that one looks good. You know, let the Lord, the Lord reserves his best for those that let him do the choosing. So Saul is Saul is that guy. He just he looked good. He, he, he's the he's the he's the car on the lot that looked good and broke down on the way home. You know, so he's literally been a he's been a bummer ever since they got him. Never no wins, no victories. Uh, you know, so anyway, David's been raised up. David's already slew Goliath. The people are loving David. The women are coming in, singing their songs. Saul has slain his thousands. But what? David, his 10,000, saw it and liked that song, not one bit. From the time he heard that, he's been, he'd been chucking spears and trying to kill David. 
And so a couple times there's been intervention. Jonathan intervened once before. Tonight we're going to see, and I told you guys last week, that really from this point on, David has to leave the palace and he's going to be like a fugitive. Even Jonathan is going to realize last time Jonathan intervened. Remember, he made peace and he brought David back to the palace. But he's going to realize today that, no, it's, it's a wrap. My dad is my dad has it in for this guy. So we're going to read this in chunks because uh, it's, it's a lengthy chapter. So look at verses one through four of First Samuel 20. I titled the message tonight, My Brother's Keeper. Uh, so let me say this about that first. We first we hear that phrase. In the book of Genesis, chapter four, dealing with Cain and Abel, right after he slew his brother and the Lord was asking, him, hey, where's your brother? And he asks that. He says, am I my brother's cue? You imagine talking to God like that? I mean, just getting smacked to, you know, I mean, but he said that, am I my brother's keeper? I, I just, I read that and I think, man, you, you, that's God, brother. You just, you better bring that down a notch or 10, you know? So, um, so we hear it more in a negative context initially. And obviously he was not a good, he wasn't, he didn't keep his brother. He killed his brother. Um, now we take that phrase and we use it more in a positive. I, I am my brother's keeper. I'm looking out for my brother. I'm watching his back. I'm, I'm going to do what I can do to be a blessing to, to help and stand with. And that's the idea that we're looking at tonight. So when I said I titled it, My Brother's Keeper, it's not in a Cain and Abel kind of way. Uh, that was the negative example. We're looking at more of the positive example. And we'll see that through these two guys' relationships. So now look at verses one through four. It says, then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. So Jonathan's like, no, my dad's not trying to kill you. He would have told me, you know, my dad tells me everything. Uh, Carry on. Look at verse three. Then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you have, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So here's the scenario. You got these two guys that are, they're, they're more than friends, right? Jonathan and David have made a pact together. They've made a they made a covenant to say, hey, we're, we're going to be together. Jonathan has acknowledged that even though he is as far as his father goes next in line to be the king, Jonathan is as acknowledged that he sees that David is the guy. I, I recognize it. My dad has a problem with it, but I don't. It's with Jonathan. Jonathan gave David his armor. He gave him his robe. He doesn't have a problem at all with the fact that God chose somebody other than him to be the king. And, and I want to just say this to his credit. That's a good friend, right? A guy that just will say, you know, I'm in position for this, but I, I see God's anointing on you for this. And I'm, I'm not jealous. I'm not, a, I'm not bothered by it. I, I, I'm actually want to help you. I want to help you get into the place. My dad, if my dad's going to hinder you, I'm going to help you to get there. That is a, I mean, that is a friend. That is, that is someone that's, I'm, that is my, that's a brother's keeper. That's someone that's saying, I care about you more than, you know, I'm, it's, it's not about me. If, if Jonathan had any, any bit of jealousy or envy or desire for what was coming to David, um, he was in position to many times, him, him just doing nothing could have left David in harm's way. He didn't have to do anything actively. He could have just said, dad, there he is. 
and just stepped out of the way. You know, if there was any of that, there's obviously there's none of that in Jonathan whatsoever. And that's what makes this relationship so sweet. These two have chosen to love each other in the Lord and to support each other in the Lord, no matter what. And I would just say this to you guys, and I think it's really important. We need these kind of relationships in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ. We need we need to be this to people. Right. We need to be that faithful friend, that friend that says, I care about you like I care about myself, um, that I, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you because what Jonathan was acknowledging was that he, he knew there's a kingdom. Not not his dad's kingdom, but the, the kingdom of God is bigger than this. And I'm, I'm part of that. And he operated as that. So we want to be like that. I want we want to be that kind of friend to our brothers and our sisters where we'll go out of our way. If we can bless you, if we can help you, if we can support you, if we can help you not get tripped up and trapped up by the enemy that we really would stand with one another. One of the worst things that happens in the body of Christ is that believers go at each other and what we're supposed to do is come together with each other to fight the enemy, right? We're supposed to unite to, to, to be victorious against the enemy. But oftentimes what Satan is able to accomplish in the body is that he gets the body to start, you know, beating itself up, you know, coming against itself. And so we want to be careful as, as believers that we never, never participate in that. Always, I mean, you want to be so careful not to get caught up in, you know, attacking or coming against Man, this is God's son or daughter. And God got some sons and daughters that are special. Amen. He got some sons and daughters that are like that. That's a, <laughs> you know, he got some of those special brothers. But you know what? Though they have a purpose too. their love. They, they, their dad, their dad loves them like he loves you. And so we got to be so careful not to get not to get caught up, not to not to be stumbled into, you know, going to war. When I was younger as a believer, um, I got tested a few times and there was uh, one in particular. There was a guy at, at my old church that he and I just it was like water and oil. He just did. He didn't like me from gate. And um, and, and, and I'm, I'm this is sad on my part. If you don't like me, then I'm like, <laughs> so you too. You know, that was because uh, uh, I, I tend to get along with everybody. But this guy just this didn't didn't like me. And so um, I felt like, you know, whatever, man. And, and it it a couple of times escalated. Something that I'm not used to, right? If you ask my kids, um, has your dad ever yell at you guys? I talk loud, but I don't yell. I don't yell at my wife. I don't yell at my kids. I don't yell at people. If I can yell at you, I can punch you. If I'm yelling at you, I am in the flesh. So I don't yell. That's a, that's been something the Lord's taught me is in the way of self-control is don't yell. Because if I'm yelling, I'm already at a 10. It's bad. So I don't yell at my wife. I don't yell at my kids. I've never yelled at them, right? Now, this guy was yelling at me and everything in my body says all he needs one time. He's been he's spoiled. He grew up a certain he needs to be punched one time and then he'll it'll fix everything. And I was I a couple times had accepted the devil's lie. Like I'm the guy that I'm going to fix this guy. I probably go to another church afterwards, but I'm going to fix him for everybody else. And um and the Lord didn't let me do it. You know, the Lord would stop me. I had another I had a brother there that I was accountable to. And he he pulled me aside. And, and this is what the Lord told me with this guy. He says, you know, you, you most people like you. You get along with most people. Right. He's if you love those that love you. What, what big deal is that? Even nonbelievers do that. If you can't. We got one guy that doesn't like you and you can't love him. Come on, man. And that became the job. God said, I want you to love him. That's what I want you to do. Stop finding reasons to 
you know, com- convince yourself why you don't have to. I want you to love him. I want you to make a choice. And this is where I learned love is a choice. It's a choice. It's not something I don't have to feel it. It's easy to love those that are loving you and you. We, I love you. You love me. Love is it's a love fest. You know, that's nothing. God says that's, that everybody does that. But somebody that's antagonized you, they get on your nerves. They talk to you the wrong way. God said, I want you to choose to love them. That was the best thing that for me, for my heart, for my life, that that it took control away that someone else couldn't get me mad enough to sin because I got I'm already choosing to love you. And love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. So when we think about the body and, and being our brother's keeper, just keep that in mind. Not just those you get along with. Not just those that when you see them, you're like, hey, hey, and you got the warm fuzzy when you meet each other. But also those that are in Christ's body that you would say, eh, not my favorite person in the world, but I'm a choose. I'm choosing to love this person. So with that said. This is the relationship that Jonathan and David have. It's a mutual love relationship that they're supporting one another. And sadly for Jonathan, he has to do this in, in, in opposition to his own father. Um, he, he has to you know, oppose his own dad in order to preserve David's life. If you're writing notes, write down Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 34 to 36. It's something we see in the New Testament. Jesus would say, I, I didn't come to bring peace but I came to bring a sword. And you guys know that the sword is the word of God. Amen. And the way it works is whatever side of the sword you fall on, that's where the division happens. Some of us fall on the side of the sword that says we're obeying the word of God. Some people fall on the side of the sword that says I disagree or I'm not submitting to God. And God says this, my, my word brings a divide. And so um, those verses, it says this. Jesus speaking says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter in law against her mother in law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves mother, father more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so. So when this, you know, when we come to Christ, how many guys have experienced that when you came to Christ that things got weird with some family folks? Uh, it can happen. Right. And this is I this has been my conviction for many years. We want to do our best to be a good witness to our family best we can. But a lot of times God, God, knowing that that would be the case, telling us up front, I'm bringing a sword. Those sound like harsh words. Why would you set a, a mother against her daughter? Lord. We want them to get along. But Jesus is I, the decision is theirs. Right. I've given you my word. The sword is laid. And if mom and daughter fall on the side of the word that says we obey God, they'll be united. But if they fall on different sides of the sword, they're going to be divided. Right. If you got a child that's like, I don't want God and a parent that does want God, you're going to feel the divide. And Jesus says, and, 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 you know, when you feel that, don't you go make an adjustment. Right. Don't you go jump on the side of your kid and say, well, I just got to get over here with my kid that don't love God and because I got to have them. He says that you won't. You're not worthy of me. You stay on over here. I brought the divide. Let them join you one day. And so where, where do we make up for that? We make up for it in the body of Christ that we become brother and sister. Jesus said when his when they came, say, hey, your mother, they're looking for you. He says, who is my mother? And my woohoo, those who is my mother and my brother? Those, I mean, this is Jesus Christ. He says, those who do the will of my father in heaven. And if, they, if they're not doing the will of God, that's not my mother, and my brother. That's not how I see it. That's what Jesus said. So I've adopted that. Right. I'm like, so who is my brother and my mother? Those that are obeying God. This is genuinely when I when I tell you guys, hey, family, I I believe that with all my heart. This is this is y'all are my family. 
There are people that I've connected with over the years, all over the place, different nationalities, different backgrounds. But it's like, that's my brother. That's the, that is my brother. That is, that's my God. That's, I got sisters and brothers all over the planet. Those are the people that love the Lord. These are the people that God has linked us up with. I got blood relatives too, and I love them. But, you know, we, it, this is something we got to be mindful of, right? This is, this, these are, these are our opportunities to have really special relationships because we're, we're part of the same king. We got the same king. We're working out of the same rule book as well. Amen. And so look at verses five through nine now. It says, and David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is any iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And so here they're they're concocting a plan. The, the, the new moon is coming up. The new moon would be a, a festival that involves special meals. David would be expected to attend because he was um, he would be expected to sit at Saul's table because David was a member of Saul's court, the king's court. He'd be expected to be there. So David said, hey, I don't want to go because your dad been chucking spears at me and everything else. So he said, look, I'm a miss tomorrow. And, you know, you go and kind of fill out, get the temperature, check the temperature for me. Now, I don't know if this is a lie or not. Right. David says, look, tell your dad that I asked permission to go home, uh, you know, for the sacrifice. And now I don't know if there was actually a sacrifice. We don't get that backstory. So either he lied and it's just telling us what happened or David did go home and come back. We don't know. We, we did know he was normally going back and forth. And so it's possible that that happened. But he said, look, tell your dad. He said, and when your dad's response to me being gone for the day will let us know if evil is determined or not. If your dad says, oh, no problem. We'll see him tomorrow. Then, all right, we know it's all good. But if he gets angry when he finds out, oh, see, then, he, then now I know he was trying to kill me. And so this is the plan that these two concoct. And again, as I as I read this and I'm, I'm considering this, I thought, wow, you know, Jonathan's having to choose David over his father. Right. Jonathan's a young man. Uh, his dad is the king. And Jonathan's having to decide to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to work with my buddy to make sure my make sure my dad isn't planning to do him harm. Jonathan believes the best about his dad so right now. He, he's like, no, I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think my dad wants to kill you. He would have told me I would know about this. My dad wouldn't do anything like that without telling me first. He told me he made a vow. Come on, David. So he's he's of the opinion that everything is OK. But OK, David, I, I'll I'll take these measures for your safety. Um, we'll, we'll we'll give we'll give some we'll give some opportunity for for my dad's heart to be exposed. And so now look at verse 10. Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go to the field. So both of them went out into the field. And so they, they're, they're going to come up with this whole plan um, 
Jonathan is going to tell David. I'm just going to tell you, then I'll read it. So uh, Jonathan's going to tell David, look, I'm going to have a little one of the little lads, a little boys. And when I shoot my arrows, he's got to go collect my arrows. So Jonathan's going to tell his if David, you hide out in the field, lay down somewhere where nobody can see you. I'm going to go out there and do my target practice with my arrows. If I tell the young man, hey, go, go get there on the left side, go on the side over there, then you know it's all good. It, no, there's, there's no harm determined towards you. But if I shoot past him and I said, no, go further, go further. They're beyond you. Then you know that evil is determined. You need to get out of here. And so that was the plan that they came up with. And again, as I I was pondering all of this, like all of this that they're doing. Right. David's got to, you know, David, he's got to tell David. David's got to tell Jonathan, well, tell my dad that I'm, I'm going to be missing in action because I had to go home. And all of this they got to do because this king is crazy because the guy in charge is has a wicked heart. And they're trying to protect themselves from him. I want to just say this, because I think it's also an important thing. Some of us are in leadership. Some of us are in positions of authority over other people. And I know in the in the world, people do things a certain way in the world. Maybe, you know, people have to exert their dominance or their leadership or whatever in the kingdom. Do people need to fear you as a leader? That's a mindset that some have, though, that like, you know, I need to be revered and feared. But. I don't believe it's accurate. Right. I believe God needs to be feared and revered, not 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 the leaders, not the people. God needs to be. We need to revere and fear the Lord. That, that'll that'll fix everything. Right. If you revere and fear a man, that's only good for when he's present. He ain't present all the time. He couldn't be everywhere at once. Now, if I fear God, God's always present. Amen. I got to deal with that all the time. God is always aware of what's going on. So um, it's, it's, it's actually an unhealthy thing here where I'm looking at Saul and his poor leadership. His son is afraid. Uh, another person that God has anointed. Two men of God are, are they're concerned about him and what he might do to them. And they're having to go through all these little all this little backdoor stuff they're having to do to try to make sure that he's not going to get them. I would just say to anybody here that God blesses to be a leader. Maybe you're just a parent, you know, even as a parent, you can't be leading through terror and fear. Some parents, that's how they lead. I, I listened to some. I was with uh, uh, Anthony earlier today and I heard a woman. I just heard how she spoke to her kid. And I was like, whoa, oh, you know, like that. that I, it hurts me when I hear a parent. I'm like, that's how you talking to your your child. You birthed. I hope that's her child, you know, but it was rough. It was really rough. It was un, it was. And I understand like having to correct or whatever, but it was like that's that's like how you might talk to somebody in the street, you know, uh, over an issue. That's that's your child, ma'am. Um, and so we want to be careful that that we don't let the world and how they do things begin to influence how we do things, particularly in a church. Uh, we want to lead in love. I want to lead by the spirit. I want to lead in such a way where I leave room for if you're going to fear somebody when I get done, fear Jesus. Right. He says that's that's who we need to fear. And if we all feared him, uh, that'll sanctify all of our lives. Man, that affect how we treat each other, how we speak to one another. Everything will be affected rightly if we would fear God. So uh, but Saul has everybody worried about him. That's it's unhealthy. Uh, and it's because of, of, of the sin in his life. And so uh, moving on. So David asked Jonathan, you know, how, how am I going to know if your father answers you roughly? Verse 11, Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So both of them went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, 
or um, or the third day. And indeed, there is there is good toward David. And I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so much to me and more to Jonathan. So he's just promising David, I'm going to definitely let you know as soon as I hear from my dad, you know. just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. First Samuel is where we've been reading, and there's so much to take away from this book. Did you realize that many of the Psalms were written during the time that these events were happening? For much of this book, David was running from Saul. Wouldn't it be strange to be an arch enemy of your best friend's dad? Even though you didn't do anything deserving of death, you feel like a fugitive. And somehow, you found yourself in this situation where you're running for your life. This was much of David's existence in the book of 1 Samuel. He was doing great things, but King Saul was jealous of him and felt threatened by him. So he wanted to remove David completely from the upcoming kingship of Israel. Do you feel like you're on the run, undeserving of the circumstances you're in? Or are you on the other side, feeling jealous and insecure about another person, looking for their downfall? In either case, these two men needed God's help. One chose to rely on God, and the other turned away. Which direction will you choose? If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If this interests you, you can find the Give tab on our website, don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for listening today to A Transforming Word.